We've all heard it before. It's who you know. Welcome to Social Capital, a weekly podcast that dives into social relationships and why the investment you put into them is so important. Your host, Lori Hybe, will connect with industry-leading professionals and dive into their networking experiences and expert advice. Hey, everybody. Lori Hybe here. Welcome to the Social Capital Podcast. Our show notes are found at socialcapitalpodcast.com. To you, the listener, I want you to know that I appreciate you, and I'm thrilled to have you here for another episode. If there's ever anything that I can do to support you, please reach out. LinkedIn is the channel that you'll find me on. Just search for Lori Hybe. You can simply click the follow button as I post daily information about marketing strategy, tips, all podcast episodes, and any upcoming events you might see me at. If you'd like to connect, make sure to send a note with your connection request that references social capital. I can't wait to hear from you. Social Capital Podcast is sponsored by Keystone Click, a strategic digital marketing agency that believes in order to successfully market to your ideal customer, you first have to understand your customer. Learn more at keystoneclick.com. All right. Today's guest is Frank King. Frank King is a suicide prevention speaker and comedian. He was a writer for The Tonight Show for 20 years and a full-time speaker and comedian. He's worked with Jeff Foxworthy, Jerry Seinfeld, John Stewart, Steve Harvey, Rosie, Ellen, the Beach Boys. The list goes on and on. He's fought a lifetime battle with depression and chronic suicidality. I hope I said that right. Turning that long, dark journey of the soul into 11 TEDx talks, one speak event, and sharing his life savings insights on mental health while with colleagues, corporations, and associations. He's survived two aortic valve replacements, a double bypass, heart attack, three stents, losing a puppet on the original Star Search, and lived to joke all about it. Well, Frank, welcome to the show. That would be losing to a puppet on Star Search. Losing to a puppet. Okay, yeah. got it. That'd be rough. <laughs> well, here, here's, here's how it's even rougher. It was a duck puppet, and we moved to Eugene, Oregon in 2010, and of course, Eugene, the home of the University of Oregon, the Ducks. So. Ooh, all right. Okay. Well, so a comedian who speaks on depression and suicide, how does that work? Well, depression and suicide run in my family. It's called generational depression and suicide. My grandmother died by suicide. My mom found her. Nine years later, my great aunt died by suicide. My mom and I found her. I was four years old. I screamed for days. And in 2010, after filing a Chapter 7 bankruptcy in April, I came very close to suicide, close enough I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Spoiler alert, I did not pull the trigger. A friend of mine came up at a keynote recently and goes, hey, man, how come you didn't pull the trigger? I go, hey, man, could you try to sound slightly less disappointed? So that's where the humor is in the mm -hmm. topic. It's not jokes. It's just funny personal anecdotes. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why, and I myself live with two mental illnesses, major depressive disorder and chronic suicidal ideation. Major depressive disorder, relatively common. Chronic suicidal ideation, far more rare. It means for people in my tribe, the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. And when I say small, my car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts unbidden. One, get it fixed. Two, buy a new one. Three, I could just kill myself. That's chronic suicidal ideation. Wow. So you wrote jokes for The Tonight Show for 20 years. How did you get that gig? It was part of a plea bargain, actually. No. Jay Leno was a permanent guest host at the time, and he was filling in for Johnny Carson. And Johnny Carson was famously mercurial. He would 
tell the staff late on a Friday afternoon, hey, you know what? I'm going to take next week off, which meant Jay had four nights, four monologues, 18 jokes per night to come up with essentially over the weekend. So he started hiring road comics, such as myself, to write jokes, you know, in a pinch. And so I would pump in one, two, three dozen jokes over the weekend. And then when he got the job for real, he let most of the contract labor go, but he kept some of us on until he left for CNBC. Wow, that's cool. I'm sure it was pretty cool to see your joke aired on TV, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. And it, meant that, it... That, it meant that I beat all the other writers who were in, you know, in at NBC because we were all working from the same newspaper stories back then. And so it meant my joke was better than anything that the writers in, in house came up with. Oh, that's great. So you have 11 TEDx talks. I mean, I've heard of like two, maybe three. I mean, more than anyone else, I imagine. How did you land all of those? Well, the only person who had five was a guy in England. He passed away. That's the most I've been able to find anybody else has gotten. In 2014, I applied. It was a TEDx in British Columbia. And I got it on my first try, which is unusual. And then two TEDx events reached out to me after that, said, do you have any more mental health ideas to talk about? And I did. So I did two more at their request. The next seven I applied for and got, and I've got a really big social media footprint on LinkedIn and an event in India in the state of Assam reached out and said, we like your take on mental health. Would you be willing to do a TEDx for us virtually? I said, absolutely. So I, that one I got invited to as well. So it's just a matter of applying. It's a bit of a numbers game. Not my first one on the first try, but I mean, the other ones took 20, 30, 40 applications before I got the audition and got asked to do it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's not just an overnight magic trick. It definitely takes some time. <laughs> yeah. And I coach it. People pay me to help them get a TEDx because, you know, it's difficult. Creativity seems to be the key. Two of the talks that I did, they liked the title and subtitle I came up with enough that I didn't even have to audition. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. My favorite and the only one I've ever gotten a stand standing ovation for was called Mental Health and the Orgasm, Treat Your Depression Single-Handedly. <laughs> and they were they were crazy about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can see how that would capture someone's attention. All right. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm sure some of our listeners are going to be curious about the TEDx path a little bit further. But I'm going to change it up and ask some different questions here. So you said you've got quite an extensive network on LinkedIn. How do you stay in front of and best nurture that network? In that community? Well, you hire a really good LinkedIn marketing company. But the process, if your listeners would like to know, it's something I learned when I worked in radio, be known before you're needed. Mm -hmm. In radio, if you drive to work every day, same time, you probably hear the same commercial for the same tire store. And people in radio will tell you only 3% of the folks in their cars at that moment are going to need tires that day. But the other 97% are going to need them sometime. That's why you hear the same commercial over and over and over and over and over again, so that they want to be top of mind when your tire blows. So on LinkedIn, through the marketing company, I create the content, but they post a one to three minute video on Mondays and another one on Wednesdays, and then text posts Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And the posts are all educational, no selling. On LinkedIn, my profile is Make Money Speaking. I believe you should just do one thing or just pitch one thing on LinkedIn. And so each of those posts are tips on making money speaking. And my two newsletters, twice a month, 
more tips on making money speaking. And I do some outbound to my first connections. I've got seven or 8,000 first connections that are public speakers. Those are my ideal clients. So it's a combination of showing up every day and not being salesy, being educational, being known before I'm needed, and some outbound. When I started my newsletter, I thought I'd get a couple dozen people the first day. I looked at it about an hour and a half after it posted, and I had 797 people. Oh, wow. And that was the middle of April. I now have 4,147. Nice. So I created a little less than a minute video to thank subscribers. So the VA mm -hmm. sends out a, if you subscribe, you get a little video from me. And it sounds like this. Hey, listen, thanks for signing up for my newsletter. You know, I figured on the first day, I'd probably get a couple, three dozen subscribers. And I tuned in after about an hour and a half and there were 797 and I about pooped my pants. So <laughs> I'm guessing they don't get a lot of videos on LinkedIn where the guy screams, I pooped my pants. Yeah. <laughs> One of the benefits of being a comedian. Yeah, that's great. If you could go back to your 20 year old self. What would you tell yourself to do more of, less of, or differently with regards to your professional career? I'd get laid more often. Yeah, because I was dating a woman out of state who became my wife. And as a friend of mine said, when I was in college at UNC Chapel Hill, 10,000 women. He said, Frank, look, she's in Arizona. She's never going to know. Nobody misses a slice off a cut loaf. I think you should be using your available resources. And so I would probably go and, and, and spend a lot more time with the, uh, with the female of the species. <laughs> what else? I probably would have started comedy sooner, although I timed it pretty well. I started April Fool's Day in 84, and that was right about the beginning of the comedy club boom. And about a year, maybe 18 months later, decided to go pro and told my girlfriend, now my wife of 37 years, I'm going on the road to be a comic. Do you want to come along for the ride? Figuring she'd go, oh, hell no. And she goes, yeah. So we gave up our apartment and our jobs and packed everything into storage. I couldn't fit into my tiny little Dodge Colt. And we took off and we were on the road together for 2,629 nights in a row nonstop. Wow. Yeah, so I do the math of how many years that was in my head. <laughs> seven, seven years and change. Yeah, so but I think I would have started sooner. I was going to start actually when I graduated high school and my mom said, no, you're going to college first. I don't care what you do when you get done. You can be a goat herder for all I care, but you're going to be a goat herder with a college degree. So I went to UNC, got a couple of college degrees and then moved to San Diego with an insurance company that had hired me. And just by chance, there's a comedy story, a branch of the world famous one up on Sunset in LA in San Diego. And I did my first open mic night halfway through my little five minutes. I heard a voice inside my head that said, you're home. So I probably started comedy a little earlier, and I would definitely not have married my first wife. She was a wonderful woman, but we had absolutely nothing in common. But you know what they say, opposites attract. She was pregnant, I wasn't. So yeah, I knew going down the aisle was a mistake. I just thought, oh, I'll try. You don't try marriage. You try grape nuts for a couple of weeks. <laughs> so yeah, I think those are the things. I'd get laid more often. I would not have married my first wife, and I would have started comedy sooner. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Different answers than what I typically get to that question. I really appreciate that. <laughs> but now I'm afraid for this one because I'm going to give you the opportunity to interview me. So what's something you'd like to ask me? <laughs> well, here's my question for you. At this moment, are you now regretting that you booked a comic to come on? And do yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm all about being real and authentic and it's a different spin and I appreciate that. I guess, is there anything else that you want to ask me? <laughs> oh, yeah. How come you don't do video? How come you don't do video as well as audio? 
You know, I started this podcast 2016 and it was pre-video podcasting, podcast, whatever you want to call it. And I just never converted and it would add another layer of work. (laughs) So when I actually first decided, roll back the time machine a little bit here, but I was like, I need some sort of thought leadership channel. So I was blogging, but I wasn't really good about being consistent with it because I was trying to make it too perfect. And then, okay, let's do video, but video takes a lot of work. You got to look good. It's got to be the right lighting. And then a friend asked me to be a guest on his podcast. And I was like, ah, I don't want to do that. And I finally did it. I'm like, oh, this is great. It's just a conversation. Go with the flow. Super easy. Record. Make some edits. Publish. Good to go. So I found that podcasting was the channel for me. Okay. (laughs) I've done a podcast of my own a couple of times, a few episodes, and it's a lot of work being a comedian and being averse to, I mean, I, I work 45 minutes a night speaking, so hard work is not really a thing, but I discovered that the editing and booking is time consuming. And I thought, how about this? How about I just guest on a bunch of people's podcasts and be a really good guest? I mean, that's great. Yeah. Cause you'll post it and then send me the link and I'll post it on my social media. So I get a double hit with the SEO. It helps the SEO. I try to guess a couple times a week in my topic area. Nice. Any final words of wisdom to leave with our listeners here? Yes. In terms of suicide prevention, eight out of 10 people who are suicidal are ambivalent. Nine out of 10 give hints in the last week leading up to an attempt, which means most people want to be saved. Most people can be saved. And oftentimes you can do it by doing something as simple as we're doing right here. And that is simply starting a conversation, start the conversation on suicide. Yeah. That's sound advice. Thank you so much. Frank, if anyone is interested in getting in contact with you, what is the best way that they can reach you? Well, I'm in the Federal Witness Relocation Program, so the Federal Marshals would be no. Well, as I mentioned before, I'm all over LinkedIn, so Frank King Comedian on LinkedIn, and I'd be happy to connect. (laughs) And my website is mentalhealthcomedian.com, mentalhealthcomedian.com. We will include all of that information in our show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Frank. You know, I appreciate it. All right. This wraps up our episode of Social Capital. A huge thank you to Frank for taking the time to connect with us. If you have a burning marketing or relationship question, just reach out. I'd love to answer it on the show. And as mentioned before, let's connect on LinkedIn. Connect with Frank. Connect with me. We're both looking forward to hearing from you. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and I want you to go out there and get noticed. May I close it like a comedian would close it out? Oh, go for it. Are you ready? Sure. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review and tell your friends. If you did not enjoy the show, well, we hope you have no friends. That's all for this episode of the Social Capital Podcast. Visit socialcapitalpodcast.com for show notes, more episodes, and to see who will be on the show next. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.